Step into my library, won't you, and have a seat by the fire. This is Jennifer Passarello from Circa19XX.com and the Circa Sunday Night Podcast. But tonight, we're not in either of those places. We're in the Vintage Century Reading Room, and I have a book to share with you that have been lost in the mists of time. Let's have a little read, shall we? Well, hello again. How have you been? How are you sleeping these days? I've never been a very good sleeper. I don't know about you, but never been a good sleeper. I've always thought that if I could sleep well, it would change my life entirely and that I'd be a completely different person. But I guess I'll never know. I come from a family of very poor sleepers. We get up really early, and I mean really early, like four o'clock, sometimes even earlier than that. But then we go to bed early, too. We're not usually up later than, say, nine o'clock or so. And we don't have any trouble getting to sleep, but staying asleep is something entirely different. We do have a problem with that. Now, I bring up this topic of sleep because... I got an email from Liz, a listener in Aurora, Colorado, who said that she always listens to my show as she settles into bed for the evening. So, in other words, I put her to sleep. (laughs) You know what? Actually, I totally get it. I listen to podcasts at bedtime, too. There's something so relaxing about a peaceful podcast, isn't there? And if that's what my little show is for you, well... I'm glad. Now, I know we're here tonight for Chapter 5 of Take a Look at Yourself, but I have to mention to you another book that I'm reading right now because it is fascinating. I'm reading another old book that I picked up at my favorite thrift store, and the book is called Green Mansions by William Henry Hudson. Now, I bought this book for two reasons. First of all, the title had mansions in it. And you know how I love mansions. And secondly, because it has these really great vintage pictures in it. Actually, the whole book has this old, beautiful look to it. Now, unlike Take a Look at Yourself, this one is still in print, so you can get new editions from Amazon. But my old edition is so cool. I've just read four or five chapters, and so far what it's about is a man who falls in love with this kind of mystical, bird-like girl that he discovers deep in a forbidden jungle in South America. Yeah, I know that sounds weird, but somehow it's not weird when you're reading it. It's just sort of this lyrical, beautiful kind of fantasy. It's pure escapism, and it's really beautiful, I think. So just before I sat down to record this tonight... I read this wonderful passage, and I thought I would share it with you. Now, the main character is a man named Abel, and he's been venturing into this forbidden part of the jungle that no one is supposed to enter, but he is just completely overwhelmed by the beauty of it. And because he's there alone, and because he's become familiar with it, because he keeps going there, he sort of sees this as his new domain, and in fact, he calls it that. 
So here's what he says. As I crossed the savannah and reached the ridgy eminence to look down once more on my new domain, I had a feeling so keen that it pierced to my heart. It was like pain in its intensity, causing tears to rush to my eyes. Caring not in that solitude to disguise my feelings from myself and from the wide heaven that looked down and saw me, for this is the sweetest thing that solitude has for us, that we're free in it, that no convention holds us. I dropped to my knees and kissed the stony ground. Then, casting up my eyes, thanked the author of my being for the gift of that wild forest, those green mansions where I had found so great a happiness. Oh, my gosh, how beautiful is that? Honestly, how beautiful is that? Well, Green Mansions was first published in 1904, But you know what? It was made into a movie starring Audrey Hepburn in 1959. I just discovered this. I'm not sure if I'm going to watch that film or not. I may, just out of curiosity, but certainly I'm going to finish the book first. Anyway, I know we're here to talk about Chapter 5 of Take a Look at Yourself, and now I'm sort of confusing things by talking about another book. (laughs) But Green Mansions is readily available, so if you're looking for a good read, This one may be worth a look. Okay, and now on to Chapter 5 of Take a Look at Yourself. If you just stumbled upon this podcast, we're reading the book Take a Look at Yourself, which was written in 1943 by John Homer Miller. This book appears to be out of print. I bought an old print in a vintage bookshop several years ago, and I'm sharing this book now with my listeners because... It's sort of been playing into my own personal goals for this year. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make some changes in my life, and I'm finding that this little book is very helpful. So I thought that maybe others might find it worth listening to as well. If you need to catch up, you might want to go back and listen to chapters 1 through 4, and then join us here for chapter 5. We'll be here when you're ready. Okay, so let's do a little recap of chapter 4. Now, remember Chapter 4 was entitled Rediscovering Your Inescapables. This was a little bit more of a, a sober message than the other chapters, but it was all about how we can't escape these realities of life. Number one, you're responsible for yourself, and not just for now, but for all eternity. Number two, there is a moral law, and that moral law was not designed by us but that it's in place to guide us and to help us live a good, happy life. Number three, sacrifice and suffering are a part of life. And honestly, they're the best teachers that we have in many cases. And then finally, and most importantly, God exists. And we can get through everything in life if we walk through it with him. Now let's jump into chapter five. And it's entitled, The Value of Little Things. Chapter 5. The Value of Little Things Do the stupendous catastrophic events of the world tend to make your daily life seem trivial, inconsequential, and of little importance? Is your attention so captured by the large that you forget the little? 
Do you feel helpless in the midst of vast forces that you can neither understand nor control? Do you feel discouraged that you can't have a part in the great events that seem to be reshaping civilization? Do you feel like a leaf swept hither and yon by a revolutionary hurricane that has been let loose upon the world? Does your life seem to have no importance in the midst of events of worldwide consequence? What has history to say to you? It tells you that the little and unnoticed, not the conspicuous and the spectacular, have determined the wave of the future. Remember that the outcome of stupendous happenings invariably hinges upon small, seemingly unimportant events and upon little people. It's not so much the little as the big things and the so-called great people who have been disappointing in this generation. The future of democracy will be determined not so much by great events as by the plain everyday living of millions of little people. Today we're emphasizing in our churches the worldwide implications of Christianity. Yet the root of the Christian faith is in the personal lives of millions of people who are the least of these. Therefore, your greatest encouragement, even in this moment, in this time, may come from small people who are doing little things well. It is they who are lighting candles in the dark world. The first fact, then, that you might do well to bear in mind is this. The little is significant because the large is made up of the little, and frequently the small is what makes the great possible. Can you believe that your heart, no larger than your fist, pumps enough blood every day to fill an ordinary railroad tank car? Tiny raindrops form our rivers, which in turn create the oceans. The creation of a thousand forests is in one acorn, says Emerson. And little things have far-reaching consequences. A tea kettle singing on the stove was the beginning of the steam engine. A spider web strung across a garden path suggested the suspension bridge. And an apple falling from a tree was the cause of the discovery of the law of gravitation. It is the little which makes the great possible and which frequently leads to far-reaching consequences. Michael Faraday, brilliant scientist, left school at 13 and at 14 was apprenticed to a bookbinder. Faraday might never have experimented with electricity had he not become interested in a small article in a book that he was binding. A few paragraphs in a book led to a far-reaching consequence for the world. All the fuchsias in this country, blooming on the windowsills of the poor, in the gardens of the rich, and in the conservatories of connoisseurs, can be traced back to a single fuchsia plant brought by a poor sailor boy from a foreign clime as a present for his mother. A little act of thoughtfulness has gladdened the eyes and hearts of millions. Little things cause your greatest happiness and your deepest sorrow. Homes are made and destroyed by little things. It's not the big but the little things of life that wear you out. In a suburban community near New York is a dentist who has an extremely wealthy clientele. One day a classmate asked him, what's the largest fee you've ever received? He thought that the dentist would reply with a figure that would run into hundreds of dollars. Instead, the dentist beckoned him into a waiting room. 
There on a table was a small bouquet of wild wayside flowers. They were the gift of a little girl whose parents were so poor that they were unable to pay even the customary fee of an ordinary dentist. There, said he, is the greatest fee I have ever received. The small gift of that little girl was the greatest of all gifts that had been cast into that dentist's treasury. For your further encouragement, remind yourself that the small is significant because the small is made up of the same substance as the great. The tiny bay has the same water as the great ocean. There's the same energy at work in the tiny leaf that there is in the thunderstorm. It's not so noisy in its behavior, but it's the same in its nature. The small and the great, the minute and the vast, are kindred in glory and worth. They express the same principle. They're inspired by the same motives and lead to the same consequences. Their only difference is in the measure of their material or social influence. Life has been so arranged that it's possible for the least of us to stand for and represent the greatest things. Honesty, for instance, is indispensable in the highest places, yet a child can stand for it in the classroom. Unselfishness is important in the great, yet it can be stood for and be just as glorious as in the little. When Jesus said, He who is faithful in the very little is faithful also in much, he meant that the smallest act is made of the same substance as the greatest. Maybe that's why God especially notices little things. The sparrow that falls, the cup of cold water, the widow's might. To me, the genius of the Christian church unideal and imperfect as it may be, is that it stands for the greatest things in the world, and its glory is that it affords an opportunity for the least of us to live for the same great things that have claimed the loyalty and devotion of the world's noblest souls. And it proclaims to us in our corner of the world, small though it may be, that we can do what otherwise could not be done. A lantern can represent the same cause of light that the sun stands for, and in its corner of the world, a lantern can often do what the sun could never do. In consequence, the importance of a small life well-lived, or a small part well-played, cannot be exaggerated or too highly praised. Too many people sigh for wealth, the position, the character, the personality of someone else, and they minimize the importance of the life that they can live. It is a great day for the world when any person says to himself, I shall be a lamp in the chamber if I can't be a star in the sky. It is the greatest of all mistakes to do nothing because you can do little. Sir Henry Irving, the theatrical authority of another generation, used to attach the greatest importance to the performance of small parts in his plays. Unless a small part is played well, it will mar the most brilliant performance. He once said, I can get anybody to play a big part, but it's very difficult to get an actor to play small parts the way I wish to see them played. Nothing is so fatal to personal character as half-done tasks. Frequently I watch people in our churches. Most responsibilities in our churches are small, trivial, seemingly commonplace, Maybe that's the reason many people don't do them well and thus miss half the satisfaction of living to say nothing of the fatal effect upon personal character which they suffer. 
A final fact that you may do well to recall is this. The little is significant because frequently the degree of difference between the small and the great is so infinitesimal that it's only noticed by God himself. Most successes are built upon the smallest of margins. Do you realize that the fastest runner in the world can run but 5% faster than ordinary runners? While the world's fastest runner is running 100 feet, an ordinary runner is running 95 feet. The fastest runner is less than two steps ahead of the ordinary runner. Now, to be sure, that 5% difference is important, but it's tremendously encouraging to know that there's only a 5% difference between those who are privileged to do great things and the rest of us who must do little things in life. The little things we do and the little lives that we live have a greatness about them which we ourselves may be quite unaware. When Ida M. Tarbell, a biographer of great men, was asked on her 80th birthday to name the greatest people she had ever met, she replied, Those that nobody knows anything about. You don't know how close you may be to what this world calls great. In every generation there have been people who have lived and died not knowing that their lives had greatness for all generations. Milton got ten pounds for writing Paradise Lost. Mozart died in poverty and was buried in a pauper's grave. Franklin had not the slightest idea that his kite flying in the heavens would usher in a new age. Even so, thousands of people live and die without having once felt the relative greatness of what they were and of what they did. You may be living far better than you know. One thing you should know and never forget is that your life, however small, has a cosmic significance. Dr. Carpenter once sent to Sir Charles Lyell a copy of a monograph that he had written on an obscure nature specimen and in doing so, sent an apology for having tried to make so much out of what might be thought a trivial subject. The great geologist replied, Any single point is really the universe. That's a cosmic fact upon which Christ asks you to base your life. When one duty is well done, he says, the whole range of obedience is fulfilled. When you're faithful in that which is least, you have wrought the potentialities of the highest and most complete service. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. He that is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. Any single point, no matter how small, is really the universe. Cicely Halleck beautifully expressed this truth in the line she wrote for an inspiring violinist forced to work in a kitchen. Lord of the pots and pipkins, since I have no time to be a saint by doing lovely things and vigiling with thee by watching in the twilight dawn and storming heaven's gates, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. Warm all the kitchen with thy love and light it with thy peace. Forgive the worrying and make the grumbling words to cease. Lord, who laid breakfast on the shore, forgive the world which saith, Can any good thing come to God out of poor Nazareth? What a beautiful chapter this was! 
I have to keep reminding myself that this book was written 80 years ago because Miller seems to be speaking directly to us, doesn't he? How overwhelming everything seems, right? So what are we to do? Well, according to Miller, we can focus on doing small things well. We can focus on those things that we can do. He makes a few important points here. The first thing he says is that large things are composed of many small things. He then says that the small is made up of the same substance as the great. And finally, he says that frequently the degree of difference between the small and the great is so infinitesimal that it's noticed only by God himself. I find this so comforting, don't you? Oh, wow. Okay, well, let's see what is up in our next chapter. We are on chapter six, and oh, this is going to be a good one. I think we all need this one. Chapter six is entitled, Overcoming a Sense of Inferiority. I think that chapter was written expressly for me. Well, why don't we meet here in the reading room in two Sundays and see what Miller has to share with us. Thanks for keeping me company tonight. I'm so glad you're here. Have a great couple of weeks, and I'll see you soon. (laughs) 